What's going on, Just Goes to Show listeners? This is your co-host, Ridge. What's up? Just is back here. Uh, we are just days away from the return of the Premier League. How you feeling, Jack? Mate, I am absolutely buzzing. Buzzing, mate. No, I, I, I'm actually like over the moon. Um, a combination of recording this pod. Uh, I was a guest on a, pod, a soccer podcast, a uh, Premier League podcast last weekend, which was, you know, that's kind of cool, right? Um, Shout out Prem de la Prem for, ho- for having me on as a, to talk about Aston Villa. I'm watching this All or Nothing documentary where Jose Mourinho, um, you know, I'm, I'm not super religious, but I may just start, you know, a creative religion uh, like Mourinhoism um, and just kind of follow him as kind of a supreme deity. Um, and so I'm watching that right now and following all the transfer gossip. Villa just signed Ollie Watkins, so may I'm buzzing. Yeah, I'm excited about the Ali Watkins news. Still haven't watched All or Nothing. Honestly, I'm not a big Mourinho guy. I'm going to watch it. I promise I will. I'm, I'm going to like it, but I just haven't really gotten to it yet. Uh, busy over Labor Day weekend and whatnot. But um, So what are we going to do? You want to give us the rundown here, Jack? Yeah, quick agenda for what we're going to go through, guys. We're going to give you top to bottom, beginning of the season. Season starts on Saturday, so we're going to give you beginning of the season takes, what we're, what we're looking for in terms of top four, bottom three, overachieving teams, underachieving teams, manager of the year, player of the year, young player of the year, signing of the season, worst signing of the season, all those kinds of awards. Then I'm going to rip trivia over Chris's way. Um, so for all those listeners, you you know, be ready to take a nap roughly 20 minutes into the podcast as Chris kind of catches some cobwebs as he can't get any no, of my it, trivia. Uh, no, it'll rip. Don't worry about um, it. And then uh, towards the end, we're back on the Predictor app, NBC Sports Predictor app. Um, rumor has it a certain Andrew Lockman, close friend of the pod, um, and also Wall Street analyst on the who has been on the pod before to talk about financial misdealings, um, just won a couple hundred bones. Not a couple that, hundred. You know, yeah. couple no. A little more than that. More than that. Again, don't want to distro- disclose finances no, 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 of no. our Wall Street analysts. would never do that. It's like winning the lottery. You don't want anyone to know when you win it. But um, it was a based off of skill, so I don't think he would mind us talking about it. Uh, but yeah, the golf yeah. predictor. And yeah, he won a good amount of money, and you don't have to pay anything to do it. And we have a league that we so, keep track of, so might as well do it. So it's con- Exactly. It's confirmed at this point that if you play and you win, you do, in fact, get real money, right? Like we've, I, I mean, me personally, I've kind of like... I've been like 70% sure that you win real money, but I haven't been actually sure because no one's won. But Andrew Lockman can confirm, Wall Street analysts can confirm that funds were traded into his escrow account. Um, just kidding. He actually just got the money via email, I think. But um, I don't think you're anyway, email receive- money, but that's beside Email money. money. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think you that's what, do that. That's what, that's what Venmo is. That's Bitcoin, right? Um, so the code for the NBC Predictor app uh, to get into the league is M D E Q L eight. That's M D E Q L. Yes, M. M as in Mary. Yes. D is in dog. E as in equinox. Q as in queen. L as in lady. Eight as in the number eight. Equinox. Um, <laughs> I like that. Yeah. The M and the N you is like tough. I feel like we gotta we gotta specify. Yeah. Um, so anyway, jump in the league, guys. Get on the predictor app. Jump in the league. Make your picks. Try and be like Andrew was with golf. Um, he had a poor showing last year with footy, so maybe you should stick to golf. But either way, get in the league. We're going to be tweeting out the links uh, at, at Just Goes to Show Pod. Um, and so give us a quick follow on, on Twitter as well. Um, so, Chris, you know, we're, we're, I'm buzzing for the start of the season. I know you are. Let's jump into the meatiest prediction of them all. Who do you think? is going to win the Premier League next season, 2021 season, partially behind closed doors, partially with fans, hopefully. Top four, go. All right. 
I'm not going to go all the way one through four right now, just off the rip. Yeah, okay. let it rip. We're, right. saying, we're saying rip a lot today. I know. So, all right. I think that uh, first off, I'm going to go with Liverpool to retain the title. Uh, if I had like a if I had like a wah, wah, wah soundboard, I would press it right now, but I don't. Okay. Well, that's who I think is going to win. There's there's more teams in contention this year, so it's not like it's the safest pick of all time. It's a little safe. Don't worry. Um, number two, second second in the table, runner up. I'm going to go with Chelsea. Followed very closely by Manchester City. Those are close to interchangeable, but I I do like Chelsea to finish number two. And then top of the table, I'm going to go with, or fourth in the table, excuse me, I'm going to go with Manchester United, rounding up the top four. So Liverpool, Chelsea, City, United. Oh, wow. Okay, so you're going for Liverpool to do the double, re- repeat the title, supposedly the hard, one of the hardest thing to do in sport. Um, and then you've got Chelsea with some of their big money signings you're buying into the hype. And then City at three and Manchester United at four. So third and fourth, the City of Manchester. Correct, yeah. Interesting. I mean, technically doing the double is two in the same season. I don't want to correct you, but to repeat, yes, back-to-back. Back-to-back, going back-to-back. Yeah, and and I think Chelsea City is very close for me. I do feel pretty confident about those four, though. Okay, wow. So there you go. Co-host Chess is Liverpool, Chelsea, City, Manchester United. Um, So for transparency, I I have the same top four, same teams, different order. So I've Manchester City winning the league. I think Pep Guardiola, it's going to be a ton of motivation in that locker room. Early Champions League exit, didn't win the league. They've had all of lockdown to stew on it. They've already went out and bought Nathan Ake, which I talked about in the last pod being a key sign for them. I think they're going to come out really hungry, win the league. Pep Guardiola, take no prisoners. Um, I think Liverpool's going to finish second. Um, I actually don't think it's, I don't think it's going to be super close. I don't think it's going to be a two horse race like the last two years have been. Uh, I think Liverpool, there's going to be a bit of a gap, um, and, and there's going to be kind of a cluster uh, around second place as opposed to just a two-team lead. So, But I do think Liverpool will be second. Still a brilliant team. Uh, the best back four, or probably the best back line, best group of three defenders in the league with Van Dijk, Robertson, and Alexander-Arnold. Just a case of who's playing with Van Dijk, where I have concerns, like Joe Gomez looked poor in England's fixture uh, lot, uh, this past weekend. And then in third, I've got Chelsea. Um, I am buying into the Chelsea hype. I mean, how can you not, right? Kai Havertz is dirty. And that their front three of Werner, they're going to have Z- Z- Hakim Zayek. They've got Pulisic. They've got Havertz. Like, I don't even, I don't know what, they're just so good. I'm excited. I don't want to see all these guys playing the Prem. So they, I just am really excited about them. I'll say it. Don't like saying it, but I, I'll say it. Um, and then Manchester United finishing at fourth. So I've got the same fourth. I've got United at fourth as well, but I've got Man City, Liverpool, Chelsea, Manchester United. Um, so here's my case for Liverpool over Man City. Liverpool are the only team out of those top four that are established at the back with their back four and keeper. And then you also have Fabinho, who is probably the best central defensive midfielder out of all those teams, unless you want to call N'Golo Kante a central defensive midfielder. But um, I don't know. I think having Van Dyke, Robertson, Alexander-Arnold, and I do think Joe Gomez is pretty good, along with Allison. That is a very uh, well-put-together defensive unit. Um, City have been a little bit messy back there, and I do like Nathan Ake, but I don't know if that's going to be enough to clean it up. Chelsea just signed Thiago Silva and Ben Chilwell, so a couple new faces. United need to figure it out a little bit too. So 
I think that's what gives Liverpool the edge for me. That's fair. I, I think thinking about that, the the top group there, I agree. Like, I think Chelsea, I mean, the signing of Thiago Silva we talked about last week. I, I don't, I'm still not bought into them at the back completely yet. I, I actually don't, I don't think Chilwell is worth 50 million quid plus. Um, so I think, I, I think that's a reach buy for them just to get an, an English player in. Um, and then Manchester United, we've talked about, um, you know, Juan Bissaka and then who's going to play with Harry Maguire. It's, it's, it is a shaky back line. Agreed. Um, but they've also got Henderson, who's going to compete with De Gea. The two good goalkeepers there. Um, I don't feel as good about the goalkeeping situation at Chelsea. Um, and then I will say for City, the reason why I have City is uh, I think Laporte coming back and hopefully playing a full season. Pep talks about him as the best fullback in the world or best central defender in the world. Um, and they rate him really highly. And he should be back for this full season, which will be huge for them. If, they, if Ake and Laporte can form some kind of partnership in the middle of that defense, that is a ridiculous. That all that back line that was all of a sudden shaky, like Laporte healthy with Ake, is all of a sudden just stronger than it was probably with Vincent Company in the back line. So yeah, um, and maybe Mendy can find his form, and and you know they have Walker, Zinchenko, uh, Cancelo, so a few outside back options as well. Yeah, I have one last question about just our top four here. Um, do Arsenal or Tottenham have a case at all, or are they close to these four teams in your eyes right now? So I, I don't think I don't think Arsenal will be. Um, I, Arsenal still need a lot more time. Uh, you know these young players at Arsenal, like Arteta, will need I think more time. They're going to float around the top fifth or six. Um, I think Spurs could make a push simply because. I mean, I'm watching the All or Nothing documentary right now, so like, <laughs> no, I'm kind of in on Spurs. I, but I do. Yeah, but I, I kind of feel similarly about Spurs, where I think they could be flirting around there. Yeah, I mean, I like the I like the Matt Doherty buy um, a, a lot, and Harry Kane again is going to be back at full fitness. If, if Kane and Son are healthy, then they've yeah, got a shot. I mean, they're a, they're a really good team. They they had a lot of injuries last season. Lloris missed a good amount of time. Bergwijn um, was a good signing, whole, good addition, I think. Yeah, they got the whole Ericsson debacle over with. So, um, and hopefully, Ndombele can move on and. Hugo Lloris is solid at the back. I, I think that there's um, there's a, maybe a case for them. But I don't like them as much as United right now. I think United started to figure it out last season going forward once Fernandez came in. And they've got, you know, Martial uh, and Greenwood and Rashford are all very good players. They're still apparently linked with Jaden Sancho, even though I think that's dead. But um, if Pogba's yeah. healthy for them too and effective, then I think top four is definitely realistic. I mean, and the last thing I'll say on this top four is like all four of these teams <clears throat> have bought aggressively and brought in ridiculous amounts of attacking talent, right? Not all four, um, I wouldn't say or, that, no. Except for Liverpool. United haven't right? either. So United have brought in Donny van de Beek and that's it. And he's a central midfielder. He's a central attacking midfielder. Not, and not I would really. Argue, no, he's and not really. He is. He played there at Ajax. But I would I would argue that the 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 upcoming of Mason Greenwood is a is a, a new signing in its own, right? Like the fact that he got half a season under under his belt and is coming to his first full season, that's like a hot that's like a big January signing. And and the Bruno, the signing of Bruno Fernandez also is is relatively recent. I know people love to you know, I think of that he's been at United for a long time. So they still strengthened him this year strengthened this year, I think, with both of those players in that regard. So um you know, I think though all those all those teams have strengthened within the last six to nine months from an attacking perspective, except for Liverpool, right? Which is part of the reason why I have I have them not repeating in, with the title. Okay, fair. But like, but like even even Spurs and, and Arsenal, you feel like have gone out and made good buys as well. Um, so I feel like everyone everyone in the top six like has a ton of momentum, except for Liverpool. You know, because they just won the title. So yeah, who knows? All right, um, well, you you go first with your bottom three here. That's what we're gonna do next. Yeah. 
I'll wear my bottom three from 20th, 19th, and 18th in that order. Um, so in 20th place, I have Fulham. Uh, just picked up uh, Alphonse Areola um, and Scott Parker, like the, like the guy, former England England player, England captain. But they're going to finish 20th. They're not going to they're not going to make the mistake that they did a few years back of investing heavily. Um, and they just quite frankly don't have the talent of the other roster right now. So if they're not going to invest heavily, uh, but you know try and scrap their way through for a season, they have a chance. But I don't think it'll be as big of a gap as Norwich. But they're going down. Um, I've got 19th. I've got West Brom. Uh, West Brom, big club, Midlands club, Villa rival. But I mean, looking at their 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 roster from top to bottom. Um, again, not not enough Premier League caliber in there. You, you think about someone like a Villa um, who went out, and, and they, uh, they don't have the, the tactical wherewithal like a Sheffield United does or a Wolves does to kind of uh, press up uh, in the table. And then uh, in 18th, I have West Ham. I have West Ham going down. I think they're probably the team, you know, if I'm looking up and down the table, table one of maybe three teams who I'm thinking like really don't have momentum coming into the season, right? They just sold, uh, we talked about in the last pod, Dian Ganga, one of their best young wingers for next to nothing. Uh, it seems like they're trying to offload Lanzini and Felipe Anderson, who they're no longer keen on, but on big wages. Um, and David Moyes, you know, I, I don't really back him to do a, a job. And I've said that before. So West Ham go, is the big team going down combined with two recently promoted sides. Okay. Yeah. Well, so for me, I agree with you at 20. I think that Fulham are this year's Norwich. Um, we, it seems like every season we're comparing one of the relegated sides to a new one. Like last year, Aston Villa was supposed to be the previous year's Nor- uh, Fulham. Now I think right. that uh, Fulham will be this year's Norwich. But I, I agree with you that I don't think they're going to invest heavily again um, like they had done previously. I love Scott Parker. Um but I, I don't think they have the talent either. And I've actually been to Craven Cottage, and it's a great ground, and I'd love to see them great stay ground. in the Premier League, but I don't think they're going to. Um, 19th, I have West Brom for the reasons you mentioned. Although I wouldn't be surprised – or excuse me, 19th, they have Burnley. Whoa. Let me get to it. Wow, 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 wow. I just misspoke. I just misspoke. 19th, they have Burnley. And then I'll, I'll spoil 18th as West Brom. But anyway, let's talk about Burnley more so because you already talked about West Brom. Uh, Burnley, we talked about them a little bit towards the end of the season, how they're a mess and going into the window. You know, all these players wanted to leave. They did lose uh, Jeff Hendrick on a free to Newcastle. They lost Joe Hart on a free to Spurs, which was kind of surprising. Um, Aaron Lennon just got released. He hasn't signed with another club. Like A lot of these guys just wanted out. Um, it, does, it sounds pretty grim there right now. They haven't really brought in anybody that I think is going to help them a whole lot immediately. And... Um, that speaking of not having momentum, I, I just I don't know. I feel like if you're a Burnley supporter right now, you wouldn't feel super confident in the direction of the club. And then 18, <sighs> I have West Brom. Yeah, here's what I will say on your Burnley take. I like it. I, I like it. Um, sorry, Liam Crooks. Uh, I like you know I like the bur- the take of Burnley going going down. What I will say though is a Sean Dyche managed team. I just can't see it. Like, they're just too scrappy. He's too good of a leader. He's going to buckle down and get ugly points when he needs them around Christmas time. And um, I also think, like, I kind of think about Burnley and Newcastle in some ways similar, in some ways very different, but they're both just bastardly difficult teams to play against, right? Like, they both can defend just five at the back and make you super frustrated. And they're, you know, they'll pick up points against middle uh, offset pieces and goals offset pieces against middle of the table teams and on, on the break. And um, there are two teams that I'd, you know, I would gladly pick in my bottom three, but they have enough talent where they, I don't think they're going to finish in the bottom three and they're good enough defensively organized. See, there's, right? there's a difference so, like, between the two clubs, though. One is that Burnley has Sean Dyche, who I respect a lot as a manager, and I think he's a very good manager. 
and right. has very little talent or any funds to spend. And the other side exactly. is Steve Bruce, who I think is not a very good manager and has a lot of, um, you know, a lot more funds to spend, like going into last season. And I don't know, they're, they're different clubs a little bit. Like there's ownership Agreed. issues at both, but one has the ability to give the managers a chance in the window and the other one's Burnley. Yeah, I, I agree. I think it's a good take. I, I do, do just think the similarity that they have is they're both just very difficult to play against. But I do agree that uh, one team has a lot more resources than the other. So I think like Burnley are actually better, like you said, better managed. But Newcastle has more talent. But then they still both are defensively focused teams. Yeah, you know? the, the end product I, is I pretty similar. I would agree, but different right. different routes so, to get there. So I'm curious, and Chris, thinking about overachieving teams, right? So we've established the bottom, the top four and the bottom of the table. So now we've got the, you know, this quick maths, 13 teams in the middle here. Um, who's finishing in the middle and who's kind of overachieving out of all the teams in the Prem? Um, relative to expectations, I'm going to go with Crystal Palace for this for a couple of reasons. Um, they're a team that has dealt with a ton of injury issues and a little bit of a break is going to do them a lot of good. They're very established with their style of play under a manager that's been there for a while, Roy Hodgson. Um, it looks like I think they're going to keep Wilfred Zaha, who I thought was a little bit down last year, um, but they should be able to give him some more attacking help this season. It, I don't think it's quite official yet, but Mishi Batsuai is going to be coming on loan, it looks like, uh, who had a good few months on loan with them previously. Could yeah, help. I think it's six goals, six goals in 10 games. I think it was think 13 appearances, but whatever, either way. Um, But I think that will help a lot. They got Easy coming in, um, and he's taking the number 10 jersey from Townsend. Um, He'll be more of a a central force. And I don't know. I I think that relative to expectations, I think that this is a team that could could finish 7th, 8th, maybe challenge for European football if they can stay healthy. Problem is that they're pretty old, so staying healthy is a little bit of a challenge for them. Wow. Wow, wow, wow. Um, obviously, I love that take. Um, bit it's of a homer take. It's a homer take, but, pick, I, like but I feel pretty good about it. Yeah, and we said last week, right, we're both feeling relatively decent about the, the moves and, and actions being taken at both Crystal Palace and, and Aston Villa. It feels like there's a bit of stability at both clubs, right? And, and an actual, you know, Crystal Palace have a transfer I feel that more, theme. I feel that more right? about Palace than I do Villa, personally. But Right. Um, and I, I, feel, I was feeling the same, a little bit more of Palace and Villa, but then Villa just signed Ollie Watkins, you know, for, for $28 million. But I, I think with Palace, like, you've got the recruitment strategy of signing under-23 players and Eze and uh, Ferguson and then hopefully bringing Batsuai back, who you know can score goals in the Premier League, just scored two in international fixture uh, two days ago, um, hopefully can provide and inject goals into that team. And, you know, I've seen Wilfred Zaha wearing the captain's armband in preseason friendlies. You know, maybe you know, maybe the kind of the window has passed for him to leave for big money, and he kind of serves out the twilight of his career, um, you know, at, at at Palace. So, then, you know, the next three, three years running into his 30s, kind of the similar career timeline is like a Sadio Mane and a Salah where you can't really see them being sold for big money because they're just kind of older now. Um, so for my overachieving team, uh, I picked Southampton. Um, I think Southampton is, uh, the, their style of play, they've got a, a bunch of, they're the most in-shape team in the league, right? This was a lot of things I can say about them, but the, the most important thing, and I think the most key thing I will say is that they're fast, man. Uh, they're all over the pitch. They're quick. Uh, they press you everywhere. Um, very mobile at the at the outside back position. Strikers will press you uh, midfield high up the pitch. So um, 
I think, yeah, I think I, I think they're going to overachieve. And if you look look at some of the stats last season that they how they played post Christmas, had one of the best records in the league. They had like the thumping early in the season when I think Leicester beat them like nine nil or something. Um, but around Christmas and Hasenhutl feels like he's finally got his culture in at that club, and so I think they're dangerous. I've seen them, you know, I saw them pick apart Crystal Palace at Selhurst Park and, and look like Palace looked like they were playing a Champions League team. So. Um, I, I wouldn't be surprised to see Southampton sneak into the you know Europa League places instead of a Wolves or an Everton this season. I personally would be a little bit surprised to see them go that far, but I don't hate the pick. Um, I like a lot of what's going on at Southampton, so I'm not going to argue with you on that at all. Perfect. They showed a lot of good um, last season, so, yeah. Yeah. Uh, underachieving teams. Want me to lead? Uh, sure. You can go first. All right. So underachieving teams, for me the team that is kind of set up to underachieve this season, I say this with kind of like, you know, like biting my tongue, is Sheffield United, hashtag Blades. Um, I think Blades are set up to just not do as well as they did last season. I think everyone's going to have unfair expectations a little bit um, of, of, you know, hey, they had this great season, they've strung together all these results, and I think it's almost impossible to replicate um, Look at the business that they're doing. They're trying to bring in some youth at the outside back position. Brought in uh, Ramsdale at, uh, as a new keeper, a new backup keeper as well. Wes Fodderingham, former Palace Academy graduate. Um, and, you know, you can tell they're making some strategic buys. A lot of English speakers as well. So um, players who will, you know, kind of fit right in and, and be well coached by Wilder in their system. But they're three, you know, they're three center backs, those outside win backs. It's not new anymore. Right, so like a team systematically can come up uh, in those first kind of few months in the Premier League season and pick up a lot of points because people don't really know how to play against you. They haven't played against you before. Everyone knows you now, so I, I really think uh, teams are going to start to find some space and exploit those those three center backs that they have because they aren't the best athletes. Um, and you know, I, I you look at Sheffield United as a good example. I think some of the form post restart you can kind of take into next season. Sheffield United have really they struggled post restart, right? Yeah, they did. I mean, I um, they ended up finishing ninth, which they lost their last three, so they could have finished a lot higher. Like they they were really flirting with Champions League football for a while, and they just really struggled yeah. at the, down the stretch. But I think that they've made a couple of decent signing signings. I don't think Aaron Ramsdale is as good as Dean Henderson, even though I don't think it's a terrible yeah, replacement. But I, I really think. Dean Henderson was a great player for them last season. Uh, I think he was there the last two seasons, actually, um, and a big mm-hmm. reason why they were so successful. So we'll see if that translates with Ramsdale. Um, my underachiever is a team that I really liked last season, but I think that they will underachieve relative to where they finished last year, and that's Leicester. Um, they ended up finishing fifth. Speaking of teams that weren't great after the restart, they kind of didn't have it anymore after the restart, um, not like they did earlier in the season at least. Uh, I love Jamie Vardy, but he's you know another year older, and for a pacey striker like that, it's going to have to wear on him eventually. He's 33, turns 34 in January. Um, I like Brendan Rodgers as a manager. I still think they have a lot of good pieces. They did lose Ben Chilwell, but they replaced him with Timothy Castagne, who uh, I think could be pretty good from Atalanta, and I think he'll fit right in there. He's a Belgian international. But I just don't think that they're... I mean, they finished fifth, but they were third for a lot of the season last year. And I don't think they're going to be quite that good this season just because a lot of the other teams at the top have done a better job of uh, you know adding depth, reinforcing their squads, as opposed to Leicester, who haven't really been able to do a whole lot this window. 
Yeah, I, again, I not to keep kind of double tapping your picks, but I, I, I like that pick a lot. It kind of, Lester kind of feels like, and you saw this with the Liverpool team with Brendan Rodgers when they had the defeat at Cristambul, and that Liverpool team after that was never really the same, and Rodgers went on to lose his job the following season. You kind of feel similar about Leicester um, coming into this season, right? They smashed it at the beginning of the season and then kind of lost form a little bit and then the restart, and were just terrible post-restart. Um, I watched them, you know, get outplayed by Brighton at, at, at home post restart. And it just felt like, um, it, it feels like he rides these really, really high highs and really, really low lows as a manager. Um, it just seems to be a trend looking in his career. And it, it, I don't know if he's going to be able to pull it out or if he'll just kind of ride into the season. So I do like that pick. Yeah. Well, let's keep it moving. Um, I don't think we need to spend a ton of time on this one, or at least I won't. Manager of the year, I'll just go first. I'm going to go with Jurgen Klopp just because I think it's going to be a pretty contested battle this season in the Premier League compared to the last few years, and they haven't really spent anything this summer. It's kind of a, an easy pick, uh, but I do think that you know retaining the title would be a really big achievement, and um, I expect them to do it, so I'm going to go with him. Yeah, so, I mean, yeah, you obviously picked him to win the title and picked him for manager of the year, so that's fair. That's linear. Um, I'll go Marcel, Marcel Bielsa. Um, I think he's going to kind of take the league by storm. If you've read about him, you know he's a supreme tactician. He had Spygate in the championship. Leeds play a very attacking, high-press brand of football, a lot of running. Um, and I do think they're going to they're going to they have enough talent and they're spending aggressively enough and have enough ambition where I think they're going to end up having a decent season and he's an elite manager so um, I think you know if he gets them to kind of like top half um, hovering around like ninth eighth maybe um, you know he could be in contention for manager of the year um, but I but I do say I, I strayed away from uh, picking Ralph Haas and Hotel at the at the um, at the risk of sounding repetitive. Uh, so it's kind of between Bielsa and, and Hausenhotel there. Fair. I just decided to go and sound repetitive because I figured we're going to have to keep the pod moving at this point anyway. So yeah. um, anything else on that or you want to move on? No, let's go to player of the year. So player of the year, Chris, who'd you pick? KDB just won it. but Yeah, um, this is going to be a little bit repetitive again, but it's a different name at least. I'm going to go with Sadio Mane, um, 28. I think he is probably the best player on Liverpool that gets talked about the least. Um, you know, you hear a lot about Mo Salah, Virgil van Dijk, Jordan Henderson even this season. You hear about Trent Alexander-Arnold. Um, Firmino gets a lot of credit. Mane is obviously extremely well-known and, and respected. I'm not going to, like, pretend he's not, but he's never really had um, the ability to, like, stand out in that lineup, not even from that front three. But I think that he was fantastic last season. I thought he was their best player for most of the year. He is still in like peak physical condition and I think this might be the season where he really blows up with his goal scoring um, it's tough when he doesn't take penalties sometimes but I, I think that he's going to be the best player on the best team so I'm going to go with him and um, you know I think De Bruyne could do it again but that is I think it's a little bit of a rarity to have it as the best player on a team that didn't win the title uh, even though that happened last season but anyway that's my two cents on Mane. Yeah, no, I agree. I think uh, it is a bit rare, and I wish it was something that they were a bit braver and did more often. So I was happy to see KDB win because I, I thought it was very deserving of it. Um, interesting that you're very in tune with Sadio Mane's peak physical condition. I like he that. He is. Um, Have you seen him did, recently? No, I know he's got a huge forehead. I've always thought, I thought that uh, well, about Yeah, and a very receding hairline. but Right. Um, so on the player of the year front, uh, I, I picked Jack Rehlish. Um, partially because obviously Villa fan, but I do think Villa 
have the opportunity to do something special. And, and, you know, there's a lot of teams right now with a lot of positive momentum that we've talked about, the Southamptons, the Palaces. And it, I think if, if Aston Villa cruise into the top 10 or, or you know, top half of the table, um, it's going to be largely through the assists and goal contributions of Jack Grealish. And I think there were flashes, you know, he led the team in goals and assists, chances created last season and was kind of on the fringe of that player of the year argument. And Villa finished 17th. Right, there was a lot of people saying, you know, he led the led the league in most fouled, like led the league in chances created, led led, or led the league in key dribbles, all the, you know, all these things. And I think if Villa can get on the front foot a little bit more this season and and not be a rele- in a relegation scrap, you're thinking about you know one of those players in the middle of the table, kind of like a Danny Ings was, a Jamie Vardy was, even maybe who is in that con- is in that contention for player of the year because they mean so much to their team, and then they they kind of carry their team to a strong finish. So I think Grealish. You know, it's definitely an outside shout, but I think he has a chance at it. I was going to bury you for that because it's definitely a homer pick and it's kind of crazy. But I will agree with you that he, and I will disagree with you on one thing. I don't think he led the league in key dribbles, but he did in fouls drawn and I believe he did in chances created as well by quite a big margin. Um, I'm just not quite as optimistic about Villa as you are this season. They haven't really done that much. Uh, I think Ollie Watkins will be good. And, um,. Matty Cash is good. Yeah, it's right back. I don't know. I'm not that optimistic about them. They they really did a little bit better at the end of the season, but their goals were coming from Trezeguet, who I don't really think that highly of. And I don't know. I'm a little nervous about them still. But I, I think Grealish is amazing. I, I really do, but... Yeah, Villa need, just got his England call up. Villa need another winger, that's for sure. I think if they make if they buy another winger, you kind of had an attacking three of maybe Grealish out wide, another winger, and then Ollie Watkins in the middle. I, th- I think we start to get very dangerous. Or another striker. But a la- Watkins could play out wide, but yeah, 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 Watkins can. Alas, uh, continuing on the player of the year, let's do the same thing, but with a young player of the year. Who do you think is going to win young player of the year? So I think Jack Grealish might technically be eligible for young player of the year. Uh, this reward's ridiculous. It's like 24, 25 and under, something like that. But yeah. I'm going to go with... Y- Young's decided Young's decided from like a rule from like 50 years ago, you know? Yeah. Um, I'm going to go with a player who was just recently, I think today or yesterday, handed the number 10 shirt for his club, uh, Christian Pulisic at Chelsea. Arguably the best player after the restart. Uh, today said that he's fully fit training with the team um it's it, the big if with him is if he can stay healthy he needs to be able to stay healthy he hasn't really shown that through a whole season yet but um i think i think everything that they saw from him last year was very good he got integrated into the squad more and now he's going to be around all these other uh better attacking players that they just signed but i think giving him the number 10 shows that he's going to be a regular player in their lineup they got rid of william they got rid of pedro uh freeing up some space there so I think he's primed for a really good year as long as he stays healthy. Christian Pulisic. Uh, I wouldn't have agreed with you pre-restart, post-restart. If Chelsea go on, I wouldn't have said it pre-restart. But yeah, yeah, if Chelsea go on and have a a good season, it's going to be difficult to. to, I mean, there's quite a few players in that team that are going to be up for that award. But um, for my young player this season, I'm going to say Mason Greenwood wins this one. I think obviously there's a little bit of bias towards English players in the, in the English league. Um, think about Raheem Sterling winning, the, winning this award, but Mason Greenwood is so two-footed, uh, runs at defenders with with kind of a, a little bit more aggressive uh, and more athletic level of pace and, than uh, a Rashford or a Martial who like to kind of bend balls. It, it seems like Greenwood, you know, seems to shoot with more with more velocity um, and as well as kind of staying to the middle area as opposed to those two players who drift out wide. So I wouldn't be surprised if he bagged, you know, as, as a 18 year old um, bagged, 
you know, 15 goals this season, in which case, like, it's going to be hard to say no to, say no to him, which is what he would have been, been on pace for if he would have played for the whole season last season. Yeah, I think that he, what's weird, I don't think they ever really give this award to people that young, but he is just the definition of a clinical finisher. Um, he has a knack mm-hmm. for the, finding the back of the net from different angles with power, with accuracy, um, and he's obviously extremely athletic, surrounded by a ton of talent. And I think last season they finally figured out how to use that a little bit. So I like that pick a lot. I think he's going to have a very good yeah. year. Signing of the season, on that note, Chris, who do you think is the best bit of business so far? Taking transfer fee into consideration, I'm going to go with Matt. Right, best bit of best bit of business, right? right? right. So. Best bit of business, like that. Um, <laughs> I'm going to go with Matt Doherty, uh, signing at Spurs from Wolves for around $18 million. Um, I think that he was fantastic for Wolves. He was a key player in their style with the three center backs and two wing backs. I think that he could play fullback, which is probably what will end up happening at Spurs. I don't know. We'll see how Mourinho uses him. But Mourinho is obviously a pretty good defensive coach. Doherty offers a lot going forward, though. And he's only 28, but $18 million is pretty cheap for a guy who should go straight into their starting lineup. I think he's a big upgrade over Serge Aurier. Again, I thought he was very good for Wolves, who was a team that exceeded expectations the last couple of seasons. So um, I love that signing for them. Yeah, I also think it's a bit of a character signing. I think, you know, if you watch the All or Nothing documentary, Cough Cough, fourth reference we've made, um, made. Mourinho actually called... Call, Mourinho actually calls out Doherty as being kind of nasty and having an edge to him and being aggressive. Um, and, and and then, you know, it's funny that he picks him up this window. And so he Mourinho talks about the team being kind of soft and kind of passive. And so I like that pick a lot. I really like Matt Doherty. I think he's been essential to Wolves' success over the last two seasons. It's going to be really hard for, the, for them to replace him at the at the back line because um, he provides so much from an attacking uh, perspective uh, at the right wing back role, um, but also defends really well. You know, he's, he's an Irish player. He's got good defensive instincts, so come up through the lower leagues. Uh, anyway, I like it. It's a good signing. Um, my signing of the season is Eberechi Eze, um, the new signing for Crystal Palace. He's going to wear the number 10. Um, and we kind of touched on him earlier when you, when you mentioned Palace being an overachiever, but this is a 10 million pound fee at most, and you know maybe a little bit less if you're not counting add-ons. Um, and he's, I mean, some of the highlight goals, if you've watched QPR highlight tapes from last season, like some of his goals he scores on single man runs from midfield. Um, he likes to dribble and turn everybody, but in more in the middle of the pitch. And so, I mean, Crystal Palace are crying out for two types of players. One, a, a number a number 10 type player who just can sit behind the striker, involve the wingers, get in the middle of the pitch, dribble in tight spaces and create some chances. And then also someone to finish those chances. And so it seems like with Batshuayi, they're going to pick up someone to finish those chances. And Eze is going to sit, you know, right in front of that front three, kind of roam a little bit, or maybe the opposite side of Zaha. And if you're thinking of an atta- kind of an attacking three, maybe of Zaha, Eze, and... Uh, and Batshuayi, like that's 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 a good you know that's a strong attacking three. That's that's at least a mid-table attacking three. So I wouldn't be surprised if he goes on and, and bags you know maybe eight eight to twelve goals this season uh, with a handful of assists as well. Eight to twelve goals. I'll hold you to that. Mm. that that's a lot. No, I do like him though. Uh, yeah, watch some videos of him on Twitter or wherever you watch videos. He's pretty good. Gave gave one of the best like post signing interviews. Like I watched the Ollie Watkins one today. I like Ollie Watkins, but this interview was so boring. As it was, he had so much swagger, charisma. So anyway, that has nothing to do with his play, but got me excited. Right. Um, we're signing of the season. Who do you think it's going to be, Chris? A lot of bi- lot of business being done. Ca- which is the worst? I kind of hate to say this, but I think it's going to be Hamas Rodriguez. And I actually read a report today that there might have been no fee at all 
for him. There were reports uh, when he signed a few days ago that it was $22 million. Um, but then I saw a couple of other reports coming out today that um, they might, Real Madrid might have been so desperate to get rid of him that they basically let him go for free uh, with a sell-on clause if he does get sold again. It sounds like he's on a two-year deal at Everton. Uh, obviously, was a phenomenal player for Colombia uh, in the World Cup in, what was it, 2014? Um, he definitely hasn't really done it at the club level. Uh, but those are the kind of signings that Everton are making right now. What do you think? So I think it's uh, – so Everton obviously just bolstered their midfield three with Allen, Ducouré, and Hamas Rodriguez. I think Ducouré is probably the most underrated of I those like Ducouré. Yeah, he's, he's brilliant. But, I'm, I mean, thinking about Hamas Rodriguez, he's very, very interesting because if you watch that 2014 World Cup, he's 29 years old, so he's got a, a couple years left. Um, you know, maybe maybe two, maybe three in in a, in a heart of attacking midfield. Um, he, he that 2014 World Cup, he was mesmerizing, brilliant, like gliding past defenders, scoring, uh, you know, shooting on sight, scoring from distance. But he, he's never done that at the club level, right? Commanded this huge fee. He was like the star, the young star of the tournament. Um, and and you know he, he gets signed, and then he goes to he ended up at uh, at Bayern on loan, struggled to get minutes there, and like. You know, Real Madrid have been trying to offload him, and he could get into the team, and it's just been—it's been weird. Like, like it's like, why is he not good? Why is he not get in, get into the into the game for any team that he's played for outside of his Colombia national team, where he's like a legend? And some people say, like, you know, you play better for your national team because you have a different level of kind of like passion and things like that. I I don't know if that's true. Um, you know, it shouldn't be. And and clearly, Carlo Ancelotti sees something in Hamas Rodriguez because he signed him three different times at three different clubs. Well, so, so I, you know, um, he did actually have a great season under Ancelotti. I think it was in 2015 where he had like 13 goals and 13 assists. Um, but that was one season, and he hasn't done anything since then. And he's really been a bust that he's already gone. I think it might be an attitude thing. Uh, sorry if you're listening to this, Hamas. No, you know, nothing <laughs> personal. But uh, I don't know. I just feel like that's bound to go poorly. And when it does go poorly, it's not going to be pretty. It's kind of like an Alexis Sanchez situation where it's he's getting paid a lot and not playing. It's just kind of a bad thing to have around the team. Um, yeah, so I hopefully yeah. I mean, he does play and does well. But I don't have a great feeling about him. Allen and DeCore I feel a little bit better about. Yeah, agreed. I think it's one of those things. Like he's a huge name coming into the Premier League. It's definitely a reach from... Uh, from Everton to go and get him, right? It kind of reminds me of the Jean-Michael Seri sign that Fulham had like two seasons ago, right? Yeah. They paid like 35 million pounds for him and he was a, a huge name that a lot of European clubs wanted. Um, and then he ended up being a big wage bill and they had to offload him. So who knows, right? Like very rarely, I think, do these kind of reaches pan out. You'd like to get players on the upswing. It seems like he's on the downswing, but, you know, occasionally you have one of these players who finds the twilight, who knows. In similar vein, um, I'm picking Callum Wilson, who's also 29 years old, English striker, uh, hurt, hurt a lot of last season. Um, and honestly, like, I don't think Callum Wilson's that good. I'll just say it. I think I've seen him miss, miss a lot of a lot of easy chances. Um, he had that one kind of uh, two seasons ago when him and Ryan Frazier combined for he this does, ridiculous amount of goals does and have assists. Ryan Frazier with him at Newcastle, I might add. They both he does. <laughs> so maybe he, they can he recreate does, but, it. But I, I do think looking at that Newcastle team last season, any Steve Bruce team is just going to struggle to get goals. Right, like they're just not going to score that many goals. It's just a fact. Um, and they already have Dwight Gale, um, Joe Ellington, and Andy Carroll are on the roster as well. Right, so now they've they've got four strikers. They only like playing one of them. They've also got a few players around that, like Almiron, um, St. Maximin, etc. So, like, 
I don't think he's going to be like a surefire starter in that team because they just paid, you know, 40 odd million or 35 odd million, whatever it was for Joe Ellington a season ago, and then just paid 25 million for a 29 year old, slightly shittier version of Joe Ellington. Joe Ellington so I, I is think, not good. So I don't know if he's going to play. I don't know. I, 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 I have a lot of sympathy for any Steve Bruce striker. I think if you're a striker playing under a Steve Bruce team, it's hard to get a lot of goals. I don't think you're going to see many strikers under Steve Bruce score 20 plus. Um, unless you're taking a bunch of penalties and then also, you know, getting some kind of tap-ins around the box from, from Federico Fernandez knockdowns. Like, I just don't think it's happening that much. Fair. All right, let's move on, though. We, we're running long already. All right, here we go. Um, so I'm going to rip trivia for Chris uh, today. And Chris, what I'm going to do, I'm going to time you. I'm going to give you probably uh, – do you want to be timed or do you want guesses? Because you gave me this option last week. Well, it kind of depends on the question. Okay. Um, well, I'm going to decide for you. I'm going to time you. I think that makes sense. Yeah, you decide um, I'm going to see how, how, how many you can get. Um, I've got the 10 most expensive transfers of players to the Premier League that are 21 years old or younger. Okay? So the 10 most expensive transfers of players who are 21 years old or younger into the Premier League. Okay. All time. Uh, it doesn't necessarily doesn't need to necessarily be into the Premier League. The player, Premier League could have already been in the Premier League and bought by another Premier League club, okay. right? But at, but they the, the purchasing team was a Premier League team. Um, so I'll give you a minute and a half, ninety seconds. Ten, ten, pl- ten players, um, and I've already given you some time because I know you're thinking about it right now. Ready, set, go. Uh, Fabio Silva. Yes, he is number seven. Okay. Um, Kevin De Bruyne. No. Um, 21 or younger, Anthony Martial. Yes, he's number four. Ooh, okay, that was a good guess. This is a really tough one. I got to be honest with you. Um, it, it's t- uh, he was bought in 2015, 2016. Yeah. Uh, Silva was bought 2021. There's another player who's here 2021. Mm, okay. Ollie Watkins. He's not. Nope. nope. He's 24, I think. Um, the top two players are, have been bought by the same team, and they're about to start for them this season. The most two Timo, expensive. Timo Werner and Kai Havertz. Kai Havertz is number one, $88 million. Not Timo Werner, though. Um, same team. Ziyech. How old is he? He's, nope. he's older than 21. 27. Yep, way older. Um, just trying to go through names. Who they signed. It's funny. You p- picked him as young player of the season. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, we'll go with Christian Pulisic, of course. Yep. Um, All right. So you got one and two. You got one, two, and four. And seven. And you've got... I'm going to give you an extra 20 seconds. I might not get any more, honestly, though. Um, Gabriel Jesus? Uh, no. Uh, Kepa, he was older than 21, wasn't he? Nope. Yep. Hmm. I mean, they all have to be pretty recent, I would imagine. Mm-hmm. Uh, 10 seconds. I don't think I have any more. Three, two, one, done. All right, so... Tough question. I'll give you that. You did get one, two, 
three, four of the top 10. Um, you got Fabio Silva at 44 million. Again, I'm just going to talk in dollars because that's what this, that's what uh, the transfer marked is in. Okay. Uh, you got $44 million, Fabio Silva, Kai Havertz. Um, sorry, I'll start top to bottom. Number one, Kai Havertz, $88 million. Uh, Christian Pulisic, $70 million. So Chelsea and Chelsea. Number three, uh, bought in 2015-2016 season is Raheem Sterling at $70 million. Makes sense. Number f- number four in that same 2015-2016 season is Anthony Martial, bought at $66 million. Number five, um, the 2019-2020 season from... 2019-2020 from where? Let me go... From, from Crystal Palace <laughs> to, to Manchester United. Yeah, Yep, Aaron Wan-Bissaka for $60 million. Um, and then number six, uh, for tw- uh, at 20 years old in the 2016-2017 season, to Manchester City again, so the season after Sterling, for $57 million. No, it's Leroy Sané. Uh-huh. Um, and then uh, number seven was Fabio Silva at $44 million. He's 18 years old. He's actually the youngest on this list. Um, Davinson Sanchez is number eight. At $44 million, bought in the 2017-2018 season. Him. Okay. Yep. Richarlison is number nine, 21 years old, to Everton yep. um, for $43 million. So they bought him from Watford, obviously. And then number 10 is in the 2014-2015 season, Manchester United bought Luke Shaw for $41 million. Really? At 18-year-old Luke Shaw. He's the second youngest on this list. Who do you think the best signing um, on that list is? The best signing, like, value for yes, money? Yes, yes, yes. Uh, I mean, so far, it's easily Raheem Sterling, right? They bought him. Uh, they've, he's, he, Raheem's going into his fifth season, so played, they bought him in the 2015-2016 season. Um, you know, he's got, got titles under his belt, um, and he can, he's a consistent starter for him, in international. Yeah, I think Richarlison right. uh, is not bad, though. I mean, he's done well for Everton, and when he eventually leaves Everton, if he does, they'll probably sell him for more than what they bought him for. That was a pretty good signing. Yeah, too. yeah, pretty good signing. And then the the number eleven, which is kind of a reach, so outside of the top ten, this is wild because this is just such an outlier. Um, is Wayne Rooney, who was eighteen and was bought in two thousand four, two thousand five season for forty million dollars. So that's ten years before any of these other transfers that are in the same realm. Yeah, I wasn't. I wasn't trying to think like, of anyone between before like five years ago. I still couldn't think of anybody in general, but still, yeah. Right. Just yeah. Pretty. Uh, yeah, pretty pretty wild, um, you know, financial financial spending there. Right. Um, uh, so anyway, uh, that wraps up trivia. Um, moving on, we're gonna wrap up per what we used to do, the predictor what app. We still do. Like, well, we just haven't been doing it because it's been the off season. But yeah, predictor app. We're back again. Code is M D M as in Mary D E Q L eight. Um, I kind of read the word Modelo when I read those letters. Um, the Predictor, uh, join our league, Just Goes to Show, 20. Um, Chris, first game on the Predictor app, you got Liverpool versus Leeds. Who you got? Liverpool leads Saturday, 12.30 Eastern time. I got Liverpool winning 3-0. I think that uh, they are opening at home, defending their title. Welcome to the Prem Leeds, tough matchup. Um, I think Liverpool will be pretty well prepared for this one. Yeah, um, so I've got Liverpool winning 2-0. Uh, tough, really tough first fixture for Leeds. It, the Premier League seems to like to do this to match a recently promoted team with the, the former champions. Um, but yeah, 2-0, Liverpool win. Next, um, and then West Brom, Leicester, Sunday, 9 a.m. 
Uh, I've got Leicester winning 2-1, um, which I don't necessarily like that. But I, again, I'm going to go West Brom, new to the league. Don't rate them incredibly highly. Uh, I'm going to go Leicester 2-1. It's going to be a gritty one. It'll be a close one. It could go either way, but I think Leicester, like Nick Ed, Jamie Varney penalty or something. Yeah, I think West Brom sneak out a draw on this one, 1-1. One, one. Um, I think it'll be a little bit of an ugly match. But West Brom, I think, are a little bit uh, more well-positioned to enter the Premier League than Fulham here. And um, Leeds have a tough fixture. It always feels like there's one newly promoted team that gets a result the opening weekend. I think this is going to be the one. Yeah. Um, Next game, we've got Spurs versus Everton, Sunday 11.30. Uh, It's Eastern time. Uh, Chris, who you got? Spurs-Everton. Spurs Spurs 1-0. I think that they're going to be ready to go defensively under Mourinho. I don't think that either team is going to look great going forward, but I think Spurs are going to end up winning. Um, and, yeah, 1-0, I think it's a pretty easy result. I, it seems like a clean sheet for Spurs. Yeah, Hamas breaks his leg out for the rest of the season. Ooh. No, I think... Oh. Uh, oh. I th- if that happens, if that <laughs> happens now, come on. I Yeah, I know. Sorry, Hamas. Um, but I think Spurs, I actually have the same result. I have 1-0 Spurs winning. I think Spurs are going to be, uh, they're going to grind this one out to start the season. It's going to be kind of a signature Jose, Jose win to start the season uh, where they just kind of like, just get it done. Find a way to win. He's a winner. Um, next one, we've got Blades versus Wolves. Hashtag Blades. Chris, who you got? I'm going to go Wolves 2-1. I actually love this matchup. I think this will be a very fun one to watch. I'm still working from home, so I will have that on TV next to me, which is nice. And, uh, yeah, I don't know. I think that um, I think Wolves are going to have a very good season. I think they're going to challenge for top six, maybe push top four for some of the season again. They seem like a stable club in the Premier League now. Um, Blades might regress a little bit, but I still like them this year. Uh, but I think to open it up, it will be a pretty exciting matchup. But 2-1, Wolves squeak it out. See, I've got, I don't know. I've kind of got the opposite take on Wolves. I think they're a bit boring. Um, I've kind of gone off the Wolves bandwagon because, you know, they play the same kind of five, five, five defenders with wingback formation. It seems like they own, like, only after, like, the 60th, 70th minute, they bring on Adama Traore and, like, go for the win. You know, it seems like that's, like, what they do every week, right? It's nil-nil, 60th minute, bring it, or 70th minute, bring Adama on, hope he, hope he can craft a goal. They're and boring, then they but they have, they're, you're saying they're boring. They have Adama Traore, they have... Diogo Jota and Raul Jimenez up top, and like right, they're boring for seventy-five percent of the game. Then they get exciting. I don't know. I I like Wolves a lot. I think that they've proven through the end of last season that they're going to be a good team for a while now. So yeah, I, I think that they'll. What well, the risk of? Yeah, I, I, I sound like I'm. I feel like I'm cutting into your core by saying that they're they're not that good. But they're, I like Wolves. Um, yeah, uh, I, I, I've got I've got Wolves winning this one. That being said, I've got Wolves winning one 0 I actually think it's going to be a pretty boring game with the two five backs, five defenders, defender system. So, I've got one 0 Okay, last game, Brighton at home to Chelsea Monday three fifteen. Who you got? So kind of annoying. Chris and I had the same result in this one. Um, so not to not to spoil your pick there, but uh, I think Chelsea like you've got to be buzzing. Like you're just buzzing. Timo Werner, you've got Zayac, you got Havertz, you've got uh, Thiago Silva is going to be at central defense, I think. I don't know. Like, I, there's just so many players I'm so excited to watch. And, you know, it's like Brighton, all right, sick, Adam Lallana. Uh, so I've got Chelsea winning 3-1. I was actually going to ask you what you thought of Adam Lallana, so I'm glad I don't have to do that now. Um, I also have 3-1. Obviously, you mentioned that. I th- agree with Chelsea. I think they're going to come out the gates pretty hot here. Um, I'd be surprised if they don't get a few goals. Uh, I don't hate Brighton this season. I thought that they were pretty decent last year. 
but overall, uh, this is a tough matchup because Chelsea, there's just a lot of positive vibes coming from that squad right now. And I'd be surprised if they came out flat. Yeah, it's it's tough to, to to look past them right now, and I just think there's a lot of momentum, and you know they're they're demolishing teams in, in their fixtures. So. I didn't really mention and the other thing with them in when I you know I have them second. I think pretty highly of Frank Lampard's ability as a manager at this point. Uh, he got a lot out of some young players who hadn't played for them yet, uh, without really bringing able to bring anyone in because of their transfer ban. And I was really impressed with them last season. I think he'll build on that. And um, so I, I think that's another reason why I like Chelsea as well. I think he'll do a good job bringing in these guys and making them uh, pretty quickly integrated into the squad and hopefully develop them well. Yeah, we shall see. I, I'm not as sold as Lampard. He hasn't won anything yet, obviously. Um, and, you know, wasn't able to bring Brighton up with the, with or sorry, not Brighton. Darby. Wow, because I'm looking at Brighton. Yeah, wasn't able to bring Darby up. Um, and then, you know, he's handed this team at Chelsea. And yeah, you can say, you know, he did well with, with a young team and young players. And you know, I'll definitely give that to him. But I, I'm not going to go, you know, like he's definitely a, there's a gulf between the, you know, uh, Jose Mourinho, Pep Guardiola, Jurgen Klopp and, and Frank Lampard. I, I would kind of keep Frank Lampard closer to, you know, where I'm thinking of maybe Brendan Rodgers. Uh, Nuno Espirito. Nuno Espirito or Brendan Rodgers or Roy Hodgson, kind of that that class of manager. Um, yeah, I don't. I'm not. I'm not ready like, to put him up there either yet. He's uh, he's yeah. new on the scene here still. But I, th- you know, I thought that he's a lot he can build on from last season, and um, it seems like the most stability Chelsea have had in a long time for a club that passes around managers left and right. He seems like someone right. that could actually be there for a while, uh, which is probably pretty exciting for their fan base. I am not part right. of that. 100%. I want to be clear. <laughs> yeah, hundred percent. Chris, Chris, is a big Chelsea homer. Not, fan. No, but, not. Uh, I get, it. I get called that a lot. I am not. I want to be very clear. I am not. Uh, well, guys, as a reminder, again, it's M D E Q L eight. Join the NBC Predictor app. We'll tweet it out. Um, Chris, that's that's all I got from. I, I, I'm just buzzing. I don't know if you guys can tell. I'm talking quickly. Um, we've been talking for a long time. I got a lot to say. I'm fucking excited for this. You weekend. always have a lot to say, Jack. That's one thing I'll say about you. But uh, no, it's good to be back. You, will you say that? Yeah, will you say I will. That? Good to be back, though. No, I'm excited. Um, We'll be back next week to analyze the opening weekend. But that's it for now. Cheers. Just goes to show. Everybody's human.